0: Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Ryan Balmes. Thank you for listening to the Ryan Balmes podcast. This is an awesome and monster of a podcast. It's over 60 minutes long. And um, yeah, the first few minutes, the audio um, admittedly is awful. Uh, I chose the wrong setting on the mic, but afterwards, it is all good. So um, thank you for listening and subscribe to the podcast, like, rate, do all that stuff and share with all your colleagues and classmates, and let me know on Twitter what you think of this episode. Thanks for listening. Hey, what's going on, everyone? I'm Ryan Balmez.
1: And I am Jacob Linuski.
0: And on this episode, we're talking about pt mills being the best that you can and robots
1: at the at the very end we touch a uh, base on a little bit of uh some the future potential future of pt uh and towards the meat, we talk about some leadership aspects and leadership aspects within the context of pt mills and making those situations um a place where people can get tremendous benefit from yep. regardless of their limitations this is
0: a long episode split it up into several commutes get yourself a nice drink if you'd like at home but enjoy start recording yeah but um okay so all right okay so thank you for listening in to the pod, uh, ryan bonus podcast this is a new project of mine passion project Out there to help student PTs, new grad PTs, experienced PTs looking to up their game in the outpatient ortho sports world. My first guest, it's a good one. It's a very good one. If you could please introduce yourself.
1: Yes, my name is Jacob Linusky, and I am a current student physical therapist at Georgia State University. And uh, what makes me a little bit different is I was a strength coach at the Division I level for many years a former college athlete myself and have just been pursuing uh, uh, pursuing ways that I can add more value to the human performance related field so here we
0: are to talk here we are and we've been chatting literally for how has long now has it been, an hour? Just has it been hour. already <laughs> Damn. yeah it has been well, we were catching up though yeah, it's been a it's while good. it's been a good minute but yeah, so I met Jacob at a um, weightlifting event, powerlifting event, and um, yeah, it was really good to see. It was really cool to see that world because I'm more from the runner world. Okay, yeah. And then witnessing your world, which I love learning new stuff, was very
1: interesting. Yeah, the powerlifting community, especially surrounding the USAPL, is so supportive, whereas in most other competitive events it's typically person-on-person person. yeah, we talked, a, it. yeah we talked about yeah we talked about this. yeah so every, exactly. every lift is a victory yeah, yeah exactly and, uh, the community is very supportive uh-huh. and where everyone is on each other's side mm-hmm. or by, by each other's side and on each other's team and it's, it's always fun being a part of that style of that mm-hmm.
0: yeah. let's go right to what we were talking about earlier jump right in because it was Let's a good go. you said something about um, the rules of the game oh, the rules so we you. were talking about PT Mills yes we all know they're out there they have to exist I don't say they have to but they're there for or some a sort of reason. reason a good reason and we could go into why they exist but if you knew those rules of the game exist you said something great it was yeah, like so you, when,
1: when you're in a high volume clinic and um, it's it's easy to let that overwhelm you and define the qualities uh you know, the quality of your outcomes that you can have with your patients but given the rules of the game you really have two options like let that environment define the quality of your outcomes or play within the rules of the game to optimize the quality of outcomes that you have for your clientele and your patient population uh, so we if if you make the decision to let your environment define you and the outcomes that you get, then you're choosing to underserve the populations that come to you for assistance. Yeah. They're coming to you for help. And you are choosing to underserve them just because you don't want to play the rules of the game that you, choose, that you chose to play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you accepted employment at a PT mill optimize the outcomes of your patient populations, mm-hmm. please, mm-hmm. please do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, again, you are just, you're underserving these people that come to you for expertise. They, they're coming to you to be better. Yeah. And you are, uh, and you are making the choice to let you know, some you know, some maladaptive or inefficient out aspects of where you are lead to their lack of benefit. Mm-hmm and and I I think to me that's just an unacceptable choice yeah
0: and also if you are fully licensed you have the absolute duty to maximize that license so technically I always like to look at what I tell students and residents like if you are unfortunately in the court of law Mm. what would your peers your colleagues say we would like to think you would be held to a much higher standard like they hire people like from the APTA or something like that because they represent like your standard and if they were like yeah he wasn't a pt mill but he could have done it this way this way this way then you're that was on you
1: yeah that's it's 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 your fault all of the eye uh, all of the um the outcomes of every patient you serve are you on you yeah yeah they're your responsibility yep. and if you choose to offload that responsibility to the circumstances of where you work, like, that looks very poorly on you. And that's
0: your license. That's your license. That's your license. The PT
1: mill, from a corporate standpoint, is not going to dissolve because of, you know, some potentially uh, inefficient practices. Like, you become dethroned. Mm-hmm. Your license is in jeopardy, not the the corporate mammoth. <laughs> like, they, they're not in jeopardy. So and just in regards to that type of perspective and mindset, um, I think it's on you as a professional to make wherever you are the best it can be.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And
1: to set the cultural and behavioral tone of your clinic, regardless of its limitations, mm-hmm. so that it can best serve the people you are claiming to serve. Because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you don't elevate that, you know the expectations there the, where, where is it going to begin mm-hmm. like, exactly yeah, and if, if, yeah again if you, if you weren't
0: cleaning up your room quite, it's you, you yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's you let me pause here let me yeah. just double check alright there we go okay oh yeah there we go I can hear you much back better. at it yeah I can hear you much better yeah very nice um okay so going back to your so to the listeners if it sounds much better for um our guests and it's because I figured out the mic anyways sorry I had to endure through that sorry I had to endure through this free podcast of uh, helpful hints but what I wanted to point out again is I'm eight years out but to hear someone as a student have such insight is great but it's also because you've had that working experience you kind of have that idea but if you are not of working experience don't feel bad to feel like oh why didn't I think of that like it's okay but I think if you're a student and recognize those, I don't know if deficit's the word, but if you recognize that you're not knowledgeable, that this is where, I think if you're a student, you reach out to professors, mentors, reach out people in the industry to learn even outside of the clinic or outside of your professional program, just because they're not going to talk to you about this stuff. Yeah, they may, but not as insightful, maybe.
1: Yeah, and. You know, when you enter into any kind of new environment, you may recognize that something's off, but you, it may take you a while to be able to articulate what specifically yeah. is off. Yeah, yeah, yeah And yeah. I've just had, uh, you know, a decade more of experience yeah. in yeah. workforce se- the exactly. workforce setting. Exactly. So uh, don't feel bad if you don't be like, oh, man, why didn't I think of that? It's fine. It like, is, we're all stumbling through it together. Exactly. Hopefully improving things uh-huh. as we, uh-huh. you know, magoo our way through exactly. life. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: exactly yeah so don't feel bad if you don't have that insight um but it, you've probably felt it and heard it but haven't quite articulated it quite yeah. well um as our guest here has but yeah but yeah those are the rules of games i've talked about to students in residents. if you know you're in a pt mill it's actually very possible the unfortunate thing is when you go out there to clinics sometimes not all the time um well no I think the one thing is you fail to see examples of how to do it well. Mm, so you go nice. to clinici- you go to your uh, clinicals and you think what you saw was like the standard. Like the only way. The only way. Yeah. Understand that is not the only way. No. And that's why I think also to the other side is people will go – students will go like, man, I had a bad CI. I was like, well, I would trust if you said bad CI, if you saw a ton of C- – like, if you're just new to depression, it's it's kind of a heavy-handed judgment to say he's he or she's bad. If you have if you don't, does that make sense? Like you haven't yes, seen um, a lot of per- <laughs> clinicians, so I would say hold your judgment, learn the good things. If you think some are bad, learn that too, because that's good data points to know how you don't want to practice but to say that they're bad ci it's kind of yeah, like to
1: say to say that they're bad is a, it's a, a rush it's, it's a little a, it's, it's a it's little, little fast a little, a little premature yeah, it's, it's a very premature that's the word you're, yeah you're looking for um because i guarantee you there are way worse out there and certainly okay. there are way better clinicians yeah. and the, the thing with let's say very successful private practice clinicians is they commonly don't set up um, opportunities for schools to send students That's to them, true. so there's a high volume of uh, students that get sent to PT Mills because PT Mills are the ones that have the volume to absorb students. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which again is a, just a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. So you end up seeing a certain perspective yeah. and a certain way of doing things within the PT world which is not indicative of the profession as a whole. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, yeah, it's not representative of the only ways to practice. Yeah, yeah. And they're there for serving higher higher volumes, and someone has to see higher volumes. You may not think that's a good fit for you, but someone has to do it. Yeah. And you know what I like about higher
0: volumes, though? I think, to me, if you were starting out, I'd rather you see higher volume because you get more touch points. Yes. You get more data of experience because over the course of 52 weeks, if you saw only a smaller amount, then you're kind of limiting your touch point. Yeah, you get maybe quality time, but I maybe. think when you're new, I'm not saying to make mistakes fast, but you get to see a lot more go, 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 yeah, go, go. Yeah. And then you could refine to the smaller
1: I, stuff. I completely agree from the standpoint that the number The greater the amount of unique cases you can see in the shortest period of time uh, as a new student Mm -hmm. uh, and and, uh, let's say you're fresh out of school, Mm -hmm. that may be the best thing for you in the long term. Agreed.
0: And you have to be aware that how you practice in the high volume should not be your norm. Just understand Mm -hmm. it's like your norm for now because you have to survive in that game. Yes but that you could change it up at any time. So I think it would be a hyper-awareness to not create bad habits mm. during those high-volume
1: times. Well, and and to put, I think it's important to put the onus on you of, you again, back to the quality that you're giving your patients, mm-hmm. and regardless of the situation. So if you've got those high-volume situations, set yourself up for success from a realistic standpoint. So you may be able to do more nuanced modalities or interventions in a one-on-one setting, mm-hmm. but using the high-volume setting to cut your teeth on what is the most effective, least yes, interventions or communication or coaching strategies yep. for dealing with people. Mm-hmm. Because if you can refine all of your high-impact, low-resource interventions yes. in the high-volume setting, then you're going to be able to go to like maybe a more private one-on-one setting and you're going to be able to knock out, you know, the, the. You'll have way more time for boom, the more highly the effective high, exactly, stuff. Yeah. yeah. So Instead you, of all the fluff. The, yep. And if you're a clinician that's 80% fluff, like you, you, you won't help people. Yeah. And it's just, you won't help anyone.
0: The big, my favorite fluff in the PT mill is 10 minute warm ups. Dead yeah. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. oh god oh get, it's on, get on the erg 10 minutes <laughs> oh, oh god you can see him sandbagging
0: over there oh god yeah they're on their phone yeah that's really helpful I'm about to charge for that yeah it's so like give me that sweet sweet you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I hate it so much. Yeah, when I fill in at other clinics, I make the warm-ups. Like, if I see the patients have been used to it, Mm -hmm. I'll make it really purposeful. Like, Mm -hmm. I'll be right next to them because I document really quickly. Another (laughs) habit of being in the PT meal, I could document quick but be a good clinician. Yes. But I will do, like, a two-minute warm-up. But then I get them on, like, an interval, like, Mm. Tabata-type, like, stuff. Get them. And they love it. It
1: well, it's because it's like, oh, I'm really working, and I was like, oh, God. very few people don't want to get better. Yeah, like it just. I know. Everyone wants to get better, and if I love and, changing and, that up, and people respond to you caring about them, mm-hmm. and just passively sending them off to some erg in the dark corner, <laughs> like just dusty. Can you change cobwebs? this TV
0: channel? I want to see. Yeah. And I was like, what? Oh, no, this no. is not.
1: That's not how things this work. This is not here. ten
0: minutes of watch TV. Yeah, we're getting after it. I need yeah. your heart rate to raise. Yeah, yeah. if yeah. it's gonna be a warm up, you don't look at Instagram. <laughs> yeah, like,
1: give, give, give me your phone. Oh
0: my god! If maybe if you're listening to this as a student or a new grad, if there's one thing to take away, can you please change your warm ups? Yeah, change it up. There. How about this? I dare you to do this. Don't even do a warm-up and see what happens.
2: <gasps> <laughs>
1: <laughs> they're going to tear everything. They already tore it. They were just thinking about not doing a warm-up. Tore it all. It's, You're like, it's like
0: in the dead of summer, they need a warm-up. Yeah, they will come like, in here sweating. They're
1: sweating through their clothes <laughs> in the waiting room. It's like, you need to heat them up further? It's like they're already being slow-cooked. Oh, man. Yeah, that, That's... Um, that's a, a common misconception yeah. that i that i see especially the types of interventions you're going to do especially in your outpatient orthopedic setting are going to be relatively low intensity all things considered mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. for those that are going to perform at a higher level like a warm-up and a prep and like, like ensuring movement quality yeah, yeah, positional yeah, yeah. Yeah, understanding be, yeah. that's one thing yeah. like going going to to work on uh doing some standard rotator cuff exercises like do you need to be in a full glisten it's like, no <laughs> yeah,
2: no you yeah, don't
1: exactly it's okay exactly <laughs> that's, <laughs> like, true. that's true yeah, yeah it's like i don't want to have to mop down after you leave for your uh-huh. rotator cuff stuff uh-huh. like it's ridiculous uh-huh.
0: yeah that goes to like the understanding the bigger picture things of it all like let's say like this is we talked about we talked about it earlier before recording like the behavioral change yeah sometimes to me I'd like to think like if let's say you already have someone coming in two times a week hell if if they even have really great benefits for some reason and they have three times a week mm. and you see on the high the comorbidities they have high blood pressure yeah what better way than to get them like you're already there three times a week make them that warm up now has way more purpose to yes. me I'll write in my goal of some sort and maybe see like. If you give yourself plenty of time, if you're there for 12 weeks for some either total knee or something,
1: yeah. why not use blood pressure as an outcome measure Let's of some sort? We can can they, we change yeah. it? You can know we better saying? manage hypertension in mm-hmm. in a post-surgical environment? Like, yeah, you can. Yeah, like Why not bundle it in there, especially if you're being efficient with your programming strategies and your exactly. time in the exactly. clinic? Exactly. But you could be strategic
0: in terms of like, well, some will say, oh, well, that's not total knee. Well, I would argue if i'm trying to walk from one end of disney to the other i'm going to need some
1: cardiovascular <laughs> so from from the standpoint of cellular respiration <laughs> yeah, if we're just going to get exactly. into some physiology yeah it's like if you can improve systemic cellular respiration yeah. then you increase rates of recovery mm-hmm. period yeah it, like, so how is that not like relevant to like a poor post-surgical total knee replacement yeah. like, it,
0: but i think it's because uh it's like different uh realms of perspective so yeah. from, a, from a pt clinician standpoint if i was bewildered why you're putting that as a mm-hmm. goal i could explain that mm-hmm. from an insurance standpoint mm-hmm. you'll have to play that game yeah. of i need to write it as like a distance goal yes. and then my treadmill time i know i'm addressing high blood pressure will also be relevant to my walking distance well, yeah, well, That's exactly. where you have to finagle. Yeah, it, it, but it, yes. Play the game. Play yeah, the game. Yeah, play the game. We're not committing fraud here. Yeah. This is just more insurance likes to look at it one way, well, and you have to make
1: them see how to, to connect. It. I tell them what they want to hear, but don't lie.
2: Yeah. I, yeah, I, you're I, not lying.
1: I don't lie. You're not lying. It's just, oh, so in... I'm going to do it for a distance goal and I'm using it to address hypertension and I may cue their movement quality on the treadmill simultaneously. He's, oh, like, oh walking game, <laughs> <with> you, <laughs> verbal cues? But I'm not gonna put that, like why would you put that? Like, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, it's yeah. for distance goal. Uh-huh. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, Cause I've talked to insurances before. Some insurances will have PTs on staff reading those notes. Mm. And from my best understanding is with documentation you want to put enough so they understand where you're getting at. Yeah. That's it. Cuz if if you put treadmill for 10 minutes and there's no goal related to distance, no goal related to anything walking, then they may be like you spent two units on walking. Like I'm not going to pay for that. <laughs> but then I don't think that's the patient's fault. That's the PT's fault it's for the not PT's fault. because yeah. the payer you have to. You're writing, documenting to the payer, mm-hmm. and I think as a cash base, that's where I recognize now. Like because I, the person paying me is in front of me, mm-hmm. the rationale has to be a lot more crystal clear. Yes, well, it's still and, crystal clear in the insurance standpoint, but they're looking at it as insurance is paying for this.
1: And and I think that when you're communi your communication strategy for dealing with insurance representatives and your communication strategy for dealing with probably uninformed patients mm-hmm. is completely different. Yes, and as long as like, you may be doing the wrong thing from the insurance standpoint, but maybe pro- like, producing productive outcomes for the patient, but they're, like they're yes. satisfied yes, yes. with yes. what you're doing, yes. and you may not get reimbursed for anything. Yes. So they, yeah. what you want to do is have yeah. that, there be congruence the best, in there. Yes. Like, Between the two, yes. Combine yeah. them uh, so that you have a sustainable practice, while at the same time doing the best, all things considered, for the patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's where uh, back to what we touched on a little bit earlier with um, the potential faults within a PT mill. Uh, it's you may not be able to co- code for the best possible the best possible intervention, mm-hmm. but what is going to allow you to see the most possible patients and produce the pe- best possible results? For as many patients, mm-hmm. and that's when you you have to kind of frame it in such a way that gives you the greatest success across the most metrics. Mm-hmm. And I think that that comes with more just experience and maturity within any kind of setting. Because mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, everyone wants to change the world, but if you're not producing sustainable like outcomes, satisfactory outcomes for everyone evaluating you. Mm-hmm. You will not get the opportunity of increased responsibility. And and when we talk about outcomes, for those of you that
0: aren't aware, like an APTA, they're really heavily invested in the registry for the outcomes. Mm. So for bigger practices, because they are anticipating that, don't quote me on this, but like that, insurers insurances will start looking at that registry not only for data specific, but maybe reimbursement, right? So it's always kind of like they kind of talked about this when I was a student, but I joke about it kind of like statistics, right? Yes. Where it's like, this guy clinician takes total knees eight weeks, whereas this guy's getting them in four. Mm. You know, it's like you're seeing statistics, and they'll they'll be able to control for things like that, but like. The statistics out for PT clinicians, but also clinic wide, are gonna start coming out, and
1: I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if insurers already have them. Uh, they probably do. They're yeah. just not like yeah. official. Yeah, 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 they're they're absolutely running data in like actuary tables on uh-huh. this stuff. They are a hundred percent are. Yeah. It just depends on you know, what they look like. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, they have to be. Yeah.
0: Well, I wanted to go back to the PT mills. Another thing about ownership Mm. uh, as a tip to students and new grads, students especially is, let's say you're in a PT mill, to think that you're going to be able to manage uh, a heavy schedule by yourself is absolutely ludicrous. And so when we talk about ownership of your license, part of our license is kind of that professional practice management side. So when you're a student, Mm. right, and for you, once you get into – clinic and Mm -hmm. i know you'll do this but like you meet the front desk you meet all your techs right you know your support staff and start taking uh, ask your ci first but start taking ownership of like hey i need you to do this 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 oh the front desk told me they're gonna come in late yeah i could do like start recognizing and maybe observing and then seeing how you would do things because you know most students are kind of like hey i'm here to show up I was like, bro, I'm nope. no, it's nope. not just patients I have to manage. It's the front desk that's needing a call. It's the texts that need
1: like I, that's I, practice, man. You gotta take ownership so, of that. I mean in any kind of environment, the task is the easiest is the easiest part. The task is the easiest part. Yeah, so in yeah. the PT setting, the patient is the easiest part of the clinic. Mm-hmm. Because you learned about that stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's the other soft the, skill stuff you didn't learn. How do you integrate into a team that exists before you, mm-hmm. not step on any toes, mm-hmm. develop relationships, mm-hmm. and optimize outcomes for the patient? Yep. So that's incredibly difficult. That mm-hmm. How do you manage your relationship with the CI such that you're doing things to the quality of their standard? Mm-hmm while also getting what you want from them mm-hmm. without being annoying. Because
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> it's their license, not, it's yours. Their license yeah. it's not yours. Because
1: yeah. it's their license, not yours. That's another thing, too. I think
0: students should just understand it's it's not your license. So, like, it's their license. Just be thankful and grateful that they took because it's a big task to yeah. take them on. And-, and then just, you know your time's going to come. Don't feel like you need to be this a star you could do
1: it this way it's just
0: it's just gonna burn
1: way more bridges than you really have to. and and I, I think that the goal for anyone in any setting is to create as much value possible wherever you are mm-hmm. and if you learn how to do that everything else takes care of itself mm-hmm. so if you think or if there's something specific that you want to learn from your CI add as much value possible for four weeks and then make a big ask yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I like think exactly. ba- if they're an expert at dry needling and you want to learn more about dry needling and they don't think you have done your part they won't teach you anything mm-hmm. that's just like human nature a, like, but but yeah. apply it to here right? yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. The, the thing that holds people back the most isn't their knowledge base
3: mm-hmm. it's
1: how they interact with other people
3: mm-hmm.
1: so you may be 4-0 straight a's perfect in the classroom but if you can't um, if you can't communicate well and express the value that you have to offer, and you're you can't work with different teams in different settings, you will be a garbage clinician.
0: Mm-hmm. Or like, don't feel like you have to wait and be like, man, when I'm a when I'm licensed, I'll just do it. You don't have to wait. Like you could don't start practicing these
1: things. Well, and and I, I think that type of mentality is incredibly arrogant. Mm-hmm. To think that, you know. The way that a clinician that has been practicing for years chooses to do things is somehow without merit or value. Like yeah. all yeah, aspects yeah, yeah. of yeah, yeah, it yeah, yeah, are without yeah. a reason. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. It's like, there may be some things that need refining, just like with everyone. Yep. But if you think that any any professional in any endeavor that has been successful for years is 100% wrong about everything, mm-hmm. like, man, they're not. It's you. Yeah. It's you. Yeah. Uh, so just understanding that wherever you get placed wherever you're getting experience add value and learn as much as possible Mm -hmm. don't give anyone you've interacted with in any setting a reason to say something negative about you
0: Mm -hmm. oh another thing too though I think the thing is you don't want to I've met students like this before where it's like they're way more concerned with being buddy buddy without actually getting the work You you know what I'm saying where it's like They're trying to be super cool, but most of the conversation isn't professional. Not they're doing unprofessional stuff, but they're talking about Does that make sense? Like, it's like you're being way too friendly, but it's like, you know, we're here to work. Like, I'm not trying to be your best friend. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I I see what you mean. Like, you want to be of value. Mm -hmm. You want to be friendly, but we're not
1: trying to be like, we're not. Hey, what are you doing this weekend? Like, we're not friends. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We can be cordial and respectful and kind. Yes. But you are not friends with your CI. Like, you're not friends like you may become friends, exactly. But, you but you're are not, not trying friends. to like, yeah. The goal then, is not to be their friend. Yes. The goal is to serve your
0: patient population. Yes. Because I've watched that as an outsider, and I'm like, because I don't know if people are are conscious of doing it, but then they use that as leverage to get what
1: they want. Well, it's a compensatory mechanism for not being competent fair yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. It, it's like if i know i'm not competent and can't add value in that way mm-hmm. i'm going to look for another way to add value which mm-hmm. could be potentially like friendship yes yeah it's like you like mm-hmm. me yep they so i must be doing a good job yeah, yeah but yeah. it's like people will like you a lot more if you are incredibly competent
3: mm-hmm.
1: and everything else yes
0: yeah
1: it's like but if you're incompetent it's really hard to like you yeah
0: like, if I, my ideal student would be... Because sometimes, like, most time in the mornings, I'm like, I want to get going, get some momentum. I'm mm-hmm. friendly, but, like, I like to get my work done. Yes. Because like, if a student, if it had that same mentality, and then when there's a moment of, like, whew, let's chat it up. Okay, yeah. but don't be started chatting me about your weekend, and I'm like, we're, like, care.
1: three, four <laughs> patients in. I don't care. At the same time, I was yeah. like, this is not I, the time. That's not a thing. It's not a thing. I, I, I um, yeah, and a way to frame that is to communicate with your CI or superior like during at the beginning of the day. It's like when when we get a moment, it's like, uh, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Yes, just, like, just let yes, me know yes. when you have a moment, staging
0: that ahead yeah. of time
1: instead of spurring on. Yeah, That's let huge. me know when you have a moment. I have a few questions that, that I'd like mm. to ask you and yes. really would like your opinion on them. Yes, and it's like, boom, easy, perfect. easy, perfect. Like, does it happen today? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does it happen tomorrow? I don't know. Yeah, you have to be prepared with that answer. I don't know. Yes, it's like, but it will happen if you approach it from that type of that type of uh, standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and then it could be like, you know what? That'd be great. Um, we probably I could squeeze out some time later in the afternoon.
1: Let's make it happen. And it's like, Boom. okay, okay, I'll perfect. Touch, I'll touch base with you early afternoon and see if we still have time. Perfect. And there, there you easy. go. Easy, easy. Moving on. Yeah. But but it's where um, like when you are a subordinate and you are making the demands of the superior. Mm-hmm. That's when things get messy. Mm-hmm. And you just set yourself up for all kinds of unnecessary friction. Mm-hmm. As like when you start mm-hmm. making asks outside of your, outside of the value you've proven, mm-hmm. it just gets, it can get, yeah, awkward, to say the least, <laughs> it can get awkward. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah? Nope. Yeah.
0: I think that's what I, one thing I another, one thing I found was like, oh, that's interesting. How they're super nice, but the job part was like, yeah, you gotta. I think the same thing also with patient care. Mm. Students will want to be super nice to the patients, and you you want to be super nice. But what I'm saying is like, the conversation sometimes has to be around the I don't know. Is the hard stuff is the right word or just. The task at so hand. Why?
1: Or, why are they there? Yeah, they're not there to talk to you.
0: Yeah, they're, they're there. They're to not get yeah. better. They're not interested in your life. Mm-mm. That's another thing too. As students, like, if you keep droning on about what you did over your weekend, how did, it's like it's that's
1: not how that works. Well, and that's where use use your conversational time. So first, your your the time you have with your patients is precious. Yes, use it well. Agreed. And. So use that time not as uh, you know, not as an opportunity to tell them about you. Yeah. Use that as an opportunity to get insight into something they may not have told you yet. Yep. So use like maybe personal conversation, to get more information out of them mm-hmm. so that you can better serve them. Mm-hmm. But, okay, um, you know all of. All of the interaction should be framed from a standpoint. It's like, will this or better serve the patient? Agree, because it's kind of like um, you know, like when a patient comes in, I'll ask any
0: changes from the last session. Mm. But like the things that are kind of looks like, hey, how was your weekend? Yeah, I'm actually listening for things. Yes. I'm actually listening for, yeah, I did more this weekend, and I'm great. like, perfect, great. And then I will follow up on that, maybe not immediately, mm-hmm. but like that may mean that you're on the treadmill for longer mm. or you know what i'm saying like yes you're you because you are you hit the nail on the head in terms of your time is precious and i also feel like from the therapy side of physical therapy what we say can be so important because if all you're talking about is game of thrones and you haven't talked about what did you do over the weekend did you get to walk more stand more mm-hmm. do that then you kind of wasted your time well and you're not being um so
2: yeah you're, you're not being
0: this de- deceiving it's just you're doing your job like i'm being therapeutic in terms of my conversations
1: and, and, and when like when you when you um have your your conversation skew more towards you you're not respecting their time as a patient either. yes and you're not respecting your time as a clinician yes like if, yes you're that's not great, you, you don't respect yourself as a clinician if you're not using that time to be a
0: clinician yes it's like going to like maybe if you went to a psychologist and they started talking about themselves yeah they, I was why, like wait what i gotta go i'm not paying you exactly. but i see that in the clinic sometimes especially in yeah. new grads like like yeah i did this this i was like
1: who cares who cares who cares they don't care it's not about you like their shoulder still hurts they don't care yeah I, they don't care no. um now if you have that report this is nothing yeah, against like if you have the rapport There's that time and place. So there's a difference between using conversation to develop a relationship Mm -hmm. and using a conversation to uh, promote yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, So rapport and trust is critical Mm -hmm. to to any type of physical therapy environment. Mm -hmm. If your patients don't trust you, the outcomes plummet, period. Even if you're doing all the right stuff, if they don't think you're doing the right stuff, It's already over. You've already lost. Mm -hmm. Um, That
0: goes back to also when you build that rapport, sometimes in that first session, you won't get that story, that Mm -hmm. experience, that living experience. You get that over the second, third visit when your conversations are good. Yes. You'll start to get meaningful connection of your intervention. So I always like, I think older people are like the easiest way to frame this Mm -hmm. is that like if I have a 60-year-old total knee, and i know they have four grandchildren great-grandchildren let's go let's go that great grandchildren and it's out of state and they know they need to fly there they're not going to put that on that intake form. they'll reveal it to you in terms of i'm looking forward to memorial day week and to hang out with my great-grandchildren four months from now
3: Mm -hmm.
0: perfect as a pt you should intervene that in terms of your conversation like you know what we're gonna put you 15 minutes on here because i know from Security to your gate is about fifteen minutes with bags. Let's make this happen.
1: And so like that's the appropriate way to use conversation as a physical therapist with your patients. Yeah. You use it as a as a way to like essentially customize their Mm -hmm. functional outcomes to their life. And their
0: experiences. Yeah. Because we don't know that. We don't I don't learn about traveling out of state for my grandchildren, but I do learn about walking gate distance endurance and mm-hmm. then you connect that's what i love we talked about it earlier being a clinician that gray those are the stories and experience that aren't in studies mm-hmm. it's not controlled for yeah. but as the clinician where our job is to marry that
1: too yeah it's it's to take their living experience mm-hmm. and pull from it where we can help improve their outcomes mm-hmm. yeah and then from the on the medical side of things you align their functional outcomes with whatever like let's say medical condition or symptoms they have so that it improves their living experience mm-hmm. like that's that is the ideal situation
3: mm-hmm.
1: and if you are using that precious communication time to promote yourself it means you're just severing that entire connected process mm-hmm. because you want to talk about you and there's no buy-in anymore
0: because it's like if all I've heard for the past 45 minutes was you know how Jay J- was like lifting deadlifting all weekend well, great I'm a cyclist so I don't really know yeah, why. I, don't, I, don't, I don't care I don't really care <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what a barbell looks like <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding
1: yeah. a cyclist you know a barbell who's barbell <laughs> yeah. <laughs> barbella <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, can I put that on my bike yeah, yeah. cool uh, I don't know what that is <laughs> yeah and but the that's where I think we, t- we touched on before we started recording is that the, uh, one of the greatest limitations in the, the PT profession as a whole that, that I've observed is not in the expertise in the, the field-related knowledge, yeah. it's yeah. how are we as a profession creating buy-in from our patients mm-hmm. so that we can optimize um, beha- behavioral changes that result in yeah. functional outcomes. Because if, if our patients don't trust us, they won't buy into what we're doing. Yeah. I think, I've, I've
0: talked about this with a colleague before, like, what would we take out of the curriculum? I'd be willing to take out, like, modalities is important. Like, I could talk about this another time in terms <laughs> of, like, I think modalities are important. Yeah. But I don't think we need I to, th- I mean, last I checked, I mean, I... it it was like a semester dedicated modalities type thing. Like the modality shouldn't be as long as it is. I don't know how it is in in the program now. I I haven't taken it yet. But but like, I don't think modality should be as long. Go ahead and add in time dedicated to understanding behavioral change. Um, kind of rapport building Mm. trust building conversation it's almost kind of like and i've been willing i've been meaning to like do this my own research like how do psychologists build that rapport is it there like an actual like are they trained in that you know what i'm saying like can we optimize the therapy side of physical therapy in terms of actually therapeutic talking in a way of coaching and talking with patients.
1: And, and I think that... Does that make sense? Oh, yes. It, it makes perfect sense. Because it, just the experience that I've had from being a strength and conditioning coach is so much more of... So, Isn't that in the coaching world? Do You guys get that, right? I mean, almost, I would say... So I would say 70 plus percent of the outcomes you get are how dedicated people, like athletes are to you. True. how hard they're willing to work for you, yeah. regardless of the plan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the plan matters, mm-hmm. but your relationship with athletes matters more. But in the coaching world, is that like in a didactic, or is
0: that kind of more in the um, professional understanding of being a good coach? Does that
1: make sense, like being in the good coach? Like, yes. Um, like the X's it, and O's are one thing, but like... It de- It depends on what type of uh, educational background you have. I, kn- I know that there are plenty of sports pedagogy um, um, degrees that incorporate a, a degree of sports psychology yeah. and th- things along those lines, yeah. but I know from an exercise science, like which I got my master's in, there was there was one class on the psychology of exercise, mm-hmm. not necessarily mm-hmm. how you would interact with another human. Yeah. It's the psychological benefits of exercise. I think the one thing then is the challenges is the whole
0: behavioral change. Knowing how to talk with a patient, mm-hmm. are we just going to rely that on, oh, it's clinical experience, or should we actually codify it in our curriculum, like, this is how you effectively communicate, create, buy, you know
1: what I mean? Yeah, like, and, I think it should be codified, I think. I For how critical it is to outcomes, yeah. I would agree. Yeah, I just don't know enough about the existing curriculum to say what should, like, what would be the yeah, best yeah. candidate for removal. Yeah. And, well, I know we have several professional practice courses, so mm-hmm. it could be part of that curriculum. Maybe. Could be potentially Maybe. modified to include communication strategies mm-hmm. and simulating situations where mm-hmm. you you need to get more information out of your patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more information than they've given on, let's say, a medical mm-hmm. screening sheet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because the more information you have, is the, the better. Um, but there are better ways to, to communicate so that you're getting the information you want.
0: Yeah. Yeah. it's just that kind of strategic communication. Yeah
1: it's a difference between like uh, how, how are you how are you doing today versus you know, like w- have you noticed a difference in your uh, the, the way that you're walking? Or you mentioned you were going to a barbecue. How yeah, was that? Yeah, how, how was that? You had to went, walk
0: up that hill. And yeah, in my got, mind, I'm thinking yes. uneven, uneven surfaces. Yeah. No. <laughs>
1: no <laughs> I'm trying to listen to it's that. Just, it's like, did you carry the charcoal up that hill? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what yeah. changes? Yeah. Was it, like, like, yeah. Was it, it's like, could you have grabbed two? It's like, easy. Yeah. Easy. But that, like, that type of, I don't know, approach to communication is, oh, it's more nuanced and subtle. And you kind of yeah. have to have... It is it takes years and, yeah, so it takes years yeah, it to does. develop that, and yeah. you know, introducing people to communication strategies maybe in the academic environment uh, might be might it work. may be like a good
0: introduction you're right yeah. you may not
1: be masterful at it but at least you
0: could be aware yeah and then you could have something to reference to versus oh I hanged out with those two guys and now I learned these things
1: yes and, and for, from a coaching standpoint was someone that I look to in in the strength and conditioning world for those types of strategies is a is a guy named Brett Bartholomew and he's wrote, written a, a book called Conscious Coaching.
0: And see that's but you see what I'm saying like that's in your the coaching world. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I don't know if that's in the PT world.
1: Of and, and that, that is really is. No, no, no. unfortunate. H- however, it's an opportunity for significant improvement. It's a low-hanging fruit. So if the PT profession Cleans that up and, and and hones that in, and who knows how how much benefit the field as a whole could, it, mm-hmm. could get, get, gain from that.
0: Mm-hmm. I could already imagine like some kind of like case study archetypes of patients already, like yeah, the it, ones that like don't want to buy in. They're just here. Because they have to. And how do you win that one? Over? So that's something. That, how do you win over the person that's like, I'm ready to go. Like, yeah. how do you win that? Do you have to win? Like, what do you, how do you, like, I can already think of like no, archetypal, that, like characters.
1: It's, it's funny you say that because that's one of the primary ways that Brett structures this book. Oh yeah. Is, is with, with like athlete archetypes, archetypes. like archetypes. Yeah. Just like strengths and weaknesses of uh-huh. each of these archetypes mm-hmm. and how to essentially communicate with them most effectively mm-hmm. so that you can get outcomes
0: be a cool study like you get like a sample of like patient expectations and see if there's maybe archetypal trends i mean depending yeah. on maybe either uh, uh diagnoses or mm. age or gender and you can do all of that
2: Ooh. yeah that, that's all be, you though
1: <laughs> no, great no pressure <laughs> no pressure do it all no pressure <laughs> i'll just need ten thousand data points there yeah. just to to tease out archetypes <laughs> Did, of low, like populations, oh, then you gotta validate your test. Nope, uh, no, <laughs> we'll subjectively apply it. We'll just—it's uh, all anecdotal it's all from here. In here. Yeah. It's all in my gut. Yep, we'll keep it that way for a oh, while. Oh my god. Yeah, no, that would be a mess. That oh. Be, oh man. Yeah, that'd be a, that that'd, would be fun. It would be super beneficial, but would take maybe decade a decade yeah 10 to 20 years of work yeah yeah, yeah. yeah totally you'd yeah. have to dedicate your life yes to that to teasing out official archetypes in patient populations in <laughs> yeah, the PT population true. True. for like being classified by like all demographics and what else like and procedure in, like, mm-hmm. like, and like in symptoms mm-hmm. oh my gosh yeah that's true, that's true.
0: <sighs> but see that that's why i was telling you as a clinician i i've i've learn to love the bet I made in terms of being a good practicing clinician because you, these are the questions that pop in my head and yeah I'd be passionate to pursue it but I just don't have the skills or time and that's where it's like I appreciate what PhDs like you will soon do like Mm. in terms of like looking at that frontier just
1: looking to move the needle yeah the most infinitesimal amount (laughs) like just
0: i know because it's crazy when you meet like a professor or when I, my old professors from uf and the amount of the significance of their work it's like man can you imagine like now knowing knowing what i know now it's like wow that must feel really good to know that you you played like a, a big hand and moving it just a little bit yeah can you like that, that must there's something about it like an e was like that was me but you know you did it for
1: patience, but like that must be crazy to well, know and, and, and for me in regards to like that pursuit it, it's about doing everything I know I could to contribute mm-hmm. um leaving nothing on the table mm-hmm. at the at the end of things mm-hmm. It's like knowing that I did all I could f- failed and faltered in ways that I will yeah, and have yeah. but knowing I did what I could yeah I got I got in the arena yeah. and I did what I could mm-hmm. and it's like that. That's kind of the thing. You can't you can't play the game if you're not in it. If you're yeah. on the sidelines, you're not in the game. Yep. Yeah. So it's a, do everything you can to get in the game and stay in the game, mm-hmm. and hopefully have success. Mm-hmm. Because even that that's not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Even if everything else is lined up. You know, my thing I'm str- that's like an internal struggle is you
0: know if I'm going to be a dad soon, can I be able to be a good father and professional life. And I'd like to think you can do both, but there'll have to be some sort of swing in efforts. And I I've, I've kind of re- resolved to if my efforts now swing towards family life, mm mm-hmm then the professional side thankfully I've already optimized it so I don't have
1: to worry. you know or, what I or mean? you don't have to refine those behaviors while while also I'm refining other
0: behaviors because I've met yeah. those that try to refine or study for the OCS
1: and they have families I was like oh my gosh like that's a lot that's a lot a lot going on that's a lot yeah and was it one thing I can say about that or just increasing demands in your life period is that increasing responsibility and obligation is a surefire way to increase efficiency
0: yeah that's a good point <laughs> yep, <laughs> that is true yep. yeah,
1: like, so way as more you, efficient you, you become or, more efficient or else you're gonna or you fail yeah, yeah. you get burnt yeah and so the, that may be a, as you enter into the challenge of fatherhood that you may find yourself you know, improving your efficiency in other areas of life mm-hmm yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, you know, increasing your, your demands has a funny way of revealing what you actually yeah, value. Yeah, yep. And but so that goes again, back to
0: the PT mill, right? Like yep. when you have a lot of demands, you better be really good, good at a lot of those efficiencies. What
1: are the three things you want to get done with every patient? Yep. Yes, three. Limited. Maybe you just get, one. Maybe yeah. one. So you yeah, only have so thirty minutes. If you start from the mill perspective, like being realistic and challenging, uh-huh. you know. So that's kind of the way I like to think about any type of interaction. It's like, like realistically, what are my goals here?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And, okay, like, is that the maximum amount of challenge I can put in given the the constraints? Mm-hmm. And so, in the PT mill setting, if you get one primary outcome like you get to work on one good thing what is that one thing yeah. gonna be yeah and then you just attack it yeah
0: let me give you a tip here i just remember this right do you when do you start your clinicals
1: june 6th the Out, second week
0: in june outpatient yeah it's gonna be outpatient pt mill or like just one PT that's mil? busy so here's a here's a fun tip so if let's say you're doing the warm-up assuming it's um purposeful mm-hmm. or other stuff I've learned now when I fill in at PT mills or things like that where they're busy like before when I started I would almost ignore the fact that there were more than one patient (laughs) I would almost be like I don't know where we're doing that but the patients see it so I think if you're in there just be honest with them and be like hey I got two other people at the same time but I'm here Mm -hmm. I'm yours but then like you know the thing you could do is coach your patients to work with you so one of the things I like to do is Like, let's say they're doing Scaption, right? Yes. When I tell them, when you're done, just wave at me. Or do some sort of thing that in my corner of the eye, I know they're ready for the next one. Or let's say, like, if it's a time-based one. Let's say you're doing uh, clamshell holds 5 by 30 seconds. Yeah. The moment I... And then I just say, just take it off when you're done. That was a purposeful cue because when I see them undressing the band, I know I I need to bring them on to the next one.
1: And I think think that's a really it's a very intelligent way to go about doing things um instead of like what do i
0: do next no like don't have that have always have that perception that you are in control and i know this is going to sound odd because some people may be like why don't you just have the text go through the exercise i i think that's fine but i know from an optimizing standpoint i like to really be like hands-on with every exercise yes and i remember i remember specifically one clinic i filled in on the, the techs were almost frustrated because I wouldn't let them do stuff at first <laughs> and it's like don't feel bad it's nothing against you but you shouldn't feel like you have control this is my patience this is my license yes and if I'm going to have you quote unquote listen, babysit or look through it it'll be for good reason
1: Well, and, and I think that as a, as a profession PTs are um, you know, position, positioning themselves to be the neuromusculoskeletal experts Mm -hmm. of the medical field in the United States. Mm -hmm. So be the expert. Yeah. Be the expert. And if, uh, if you're offloading more work than is warranted to techs, you are devaluing and diluting the entire field. Yeah. You are creating an equivalence between techs in DPT yes
0: because then because the, I've been to clinics where they're like yeah I already know my, all my exercises the tech has me go through it I was okay. like what okay 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 but that, that takes a lot of assumptions I'm gonna assume and I'm gonna look at the documentation were there verbal cues was there a motor learning plan so that they can become independent in you know in the clinic but then if they're independent in the clinic should they be here like yeah it's <laughs> like it's like it's so like if they're
1: completely independent
2: why
0: did why you they, come
1: why are they here
2: what? Just, just do this
1: oh, ever, like, so that's yeah. I, and I think a lot of uh, you know, l- let's say the the support staff within any kind of medical setting, uh, get to the point where they are m- well under the Dunning Kruger effect. Yes. You know where. Well, can you explain the Dunning Kruger effect? So the Dunning Kruger effect uh, is, listeners. you know, the curve is essentially like where there's a there's a amount of information that you gain where you are proficient enough to understanding what things are, but you're really incompetent. So yes, yeah, so like, you
0: don't know the why behind it. Yeah,
1: you, so you're exposed to a little bit of the what of a field, mm-hmm. and you think you know far more than you do. Yes. And as you learn, like uh, let's say that's a, 10, a 10% knowledge, you have 90% confidence. hmm and that's danger zone. That is yeah. that is the danger zone where mistakes happen. That's like my red flag when I meet a tech for the
0: first time. I was like, yeah, every time we see this diagnosis, we'll just do this, this, this. It's like, okay, danger I mean, zone. that's true maybe, but be prepared if I change it up because I can and I will. And I – you know what I mean? Like yeah. this is not – that is true mill is when – it's cookie – it's exactly what we were – It's copy and, copy and paste for every patient yeah. regardless
1: of context, uh-huh. which that's the danger zone. That you know just enough to create a copy and paste intervention, nothing more, nothing less. And it's a copy and paste experience. <laughs> copy and paste experience. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's a quotable
0: quote for the book. So here's another thing, the strategy, right? If I know I was going to delegate an exercise with a patient to a tech – to me, I document it, but I also know that they performed it proficiently. Mm-hmm. That they don't need heavy verbal cues or like supervision from my
1: eyes. Okay, so like, you you would note in the documentation that you coached up the tech. To yeah, work, does to, that make well yeah.
0: not even the tech, but like the page, like let's say single leg, uh, single leg step ups demonstrated okay. no knee valgus, hundred percent of the time. Mm-hmm. So then come the next visit. I could say I don't even have to say, it, but like that will be with the tech, because I know that it's learned. Okay. But I'll still have an eye yeah. on it if there's errors, but the error rate is not as high. Yeah. That that's I fair. need to be.
1: Does that make sense? Well, that that's where your expert intervention already took place yes and so a lower skill level of intervention can maintain it exactly yeah it's it's a difference between building a wall and cleaning it exactly (laughs) Exactly. so like if you wanted to do
0: a warm-up a true warm-up of some sort that doesn't require heavy cueing and they're independent with it Mm -hmm. then i could say that goes to the lesser skilled yes talent Right. or putting on ice the thing I think um, when I fill in I like to do it just because I want to be more hands on I just met this patient mm-hmm. but like you shouldn't be tech should be like what they kind of like medical assistants in the medical world they should do setup. yeah set up the ice I will inspect skin I'll talk to the patient if this is appropriate where to go but like set it up for me and as, uh, a, and, as a PT you need to know set this up
1: and I think there are situations where they're they are very competent and very skilled yes yeah, no very agreed, skilled techs agreed. that you know over the course of time can certainly assume more and more responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, if that tech wants more, there will hit a cap where they'll want they'll need to go to school. Mm-hmm. They'll need to go get a DPT in order for things to progress further. Otherwise. It, whomever is overseeing them Mm -hmm. risks their own licensure yep
0: well that's where I think I've talked about this with other colleagues where where the PTA I think could be such a great asset I've taught the PTA Mm. program uh, a brief second but there's definitely potential there Mm. I don't know if we're utilizing them the right way I'm not saying we should utilize them like purely like MAs but I think maybe more like MDPA Mm. type relationship yeah no that's fair where like total knee it's pretty expected what the total knee
1: there's little variance yeah, yeah that's what i'm talking about like,
0: yeah when you know there's little variance a pta would know where to go like i'll still prescribe mm-hmm. the goals exercise maybe even rep schemes depending on what i evaluated from the patient yep. but i think that's where the ptas could be really. The, that's about. very fair i didn't even think of that um i don't know if they talk about it in pt school
1: uh, I, I honestly, it's like we like just be like, they just exist. They there. exist over there. <laughs> then, I honestly don't even know what their official scope of practice
0: is. So one would say they do everything a PT does minus evaluation and progress. Notes. Okay. But technically it's true. But I think the expectations are different. I would expect a PTA to be knowledgeable in exercise progressions. Mm-hmm but maybe not necessarily the diagnosis of which one's appropriate. Okay. If it's new.
1: Yeah, okay. A hip
0: exercise is a hip exercise. Yeah. Um, But they may not necessarily know, and I don't mean to offend any PTAs, know why I put the hip exercise for a
1: neck pain. Okay. Yeah, so so maybe more systemic and integrated uh, perspective.
0: Yeah, yeah but I feel like if I had a PTA and I was working side by side, mm-hmm. they will
1: end up knowing. Yeah, on a long enough timeline, yeah. if they don't know everything you know, it's your fault.
0: Like, yeah, <laughs> you, they'll yeah, know. Yeah, kind of like if you ever worked uh, like when I worked when I did um, sup- um, observe surgeons and you have a PA next to them, it's almost like they're teammates. Mm-hmm. So yep. The PA acknowledges the MD makes the call. But sometimes a PA could kind of be kind of like your first you know, your yeah. first officer your like first hey, you gotta mate. watch out the yeah. yeah. Like no, that no, no, no.
1: type of relationship. And that, that that'd I think, be cool. Well and then that type of setting, having like building a team of professionals, mm-hmm. like having PTAs by your side that are congruent with your approach, man, that's invaluable. That'd be Can that's you invaluable. imagine a clinic like that? Man.
0: Like um, like in the in the armed services pts are mainly evaluators mm. and then ptas i worked with one during okay. a fellowship the ptas they call them something else but they're the ones continuing Doing. the plan that's cool that's cool and then pts i, I personally enjoy evaluating more
1: <laughs> so it all works out yeah so when are you working for the military yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: but yeah that i think i
1: don't know why we don't do that as often. Oh, and then so that'd be pretty cool to to have. No, that's kind of uh, uh, utilizing the resources that are already available. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we can all do a better job of that. Yeah, and and bringing bringing everyone into the solution that's in your environment just in, improves the quality of life for everyone. Because mm-hmm. everyone is heard, and everyone feels like they're contributing, and that they're valued. Mm-hmm. And that's and I think that's a big deal. Yeah is a really big deal yeah so what's up with you anything uh else on your mind what are you thinking um oh man you're enjoying being a PT student I, I am uh, enjoying making progress in my in my uh you know my academic career uh, like we were talking about earlier I can I haven't been necessarily the biggest fan of school yeah per se yeah but um I am surviving through the academics so that at the end of the day, we are checking boxes that need to be checked, mm-hmm. so that progress can be made.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but learning, like learning, has always been um, very enjoyable for me. Um, so I'm enjoying learning, and well, I think one of the best experiences that we that I've had so far in NPT school is just working with cadavers. It's just oh yeah, it was incredible,
0: really kind of really like I wish I could go back and I think there are resources to go back but take advantage of it yeah if, if you I have wish the opportunity more. to work yeah. with
1: cadavers like just
0: how is it at your program? Do you get to share with other programs? Or no. you get the, the PT program gets? The PT program gets, gets their own. They're, they're own cadavers. Because other programs don't have that That's luxury. Not, no. It's, it, it's it, very it, it, expensive. It Cadaver, truly, is, expensive. A luxury. It so truly it, is a luxury. Because other programs have to split it. Sometimes they get it after the MDs are yep. done with it. And it's all like ripped apart. Yep. Yeah, so no, if, we, that's uh, really
1: awesome. We started upper extremity and lower extremity. Like, we went lower extremity, upper extremity in the fall. Mm-hmm. And we did, uh, like, spine, essentially spine and abdominal, uh, thoracic and abdominal cavity in the spring. And it was fascinating.
0: Now, knowing your background in strength and conditioning, yes. was there something when you went into the cadaver lab that you learned where you're like, oh, crap? Like, well, that's the, completely the
1: opposite <laughs> of what I thought it was going to be.
0: Well, um, because I'd be looking for that if I were to go back.
1: I into cataver I really so let's say if the if I can recall any moments like where it's
0: that. like, "Oh no way." Like, you know what I mean?
1: Like you've been working with it and then you're like, "What?" Um from from like a gross musculoskeletal standpoint, yeah. I I had really took a deep dive into folks like Thomas Myers and Anatomy Trains. Yeah. So like the the kind of yeah, systemically the, like the way things interact, yeah, and, and yeah. from the the, fo- the the tracks themselves, mm-hmm. like the, the 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 force coupling yeah, between yeah. tissues and yeah. structures all the way up and down. I had an appreciation for that because they they do a really nice job in that book dissecting mm-hmm. cadavers, and mm-hmm. so they show these intact mm-hmm. cadaver tracks, mm-hmm. and so from that standpoint. No, where I had the most, uh, just revelations was in the spine, the deep tissues and deep structures of the spine. How so? Like the more, uh, like rotatories. Yeah, rotatories. Like That's like ro- my go-to ro- answer. It's The only one I know. It's, it's the, rot- the only rotatories. one I know because I remember. Is that the one
0: where it's like goes from one segment to the next, and it's uh, so
1: minute. Yeah, like there, there are like I think there, there's depending on which one you're looking at. Yeah, it, and the
0: you, moment arm it like it just goes straight up so it really only gets into play once you turn or Yeah. Like that stuff is crazy yeah. to me.
1: I love that one. Um it's like the the deep tissues in the spine, like rot- the rotatories and, and the multifidae mm-hmm. and just how small they are. Yeah. And it was just kinda like wow, that is that's what's Controlling and articulating movement between vertebrae from, from like a, a vertebrae from, to vertebra. Yeah, standpoint. exactly. Like, I love that. N- not necessarily the gross standpoint, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. just vert- like the artic, the small articulations. Like, wow, that is! I want bigger. I want bigger. Multifidi. You want bigger yeah. rotators? <laughs> yeah, I want bigger ones. Like you're this, working rotatories yeah, right now. Like right I'm now. working at it right now. <laughs> Just because of how small they are, I'm like, oh man, those can get wrecked. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. So from the the deep spine, and then from our our neuroanatomy, getting into the the skull and into the structures of the brain and the spinal cord that intact. part is very I, cool no yep. we, we did a a cns harvest um and and uh our our cadaver that we were working on at that time had huntington's disease and wow. so it was it just incredible it's a, it is incredible experience that yeah. i know that if i was not in a structured academic cadaver lab that I would not have had that opportunity and I'm very grateful for it because mm-hmm. it's just fascinating mm-hmm. it was just it was just fascinating
0: so I was I was a, a complete brat in PT school because come <laughs> neuro part I kind of just did the minimum It's like all right the brain yeah. you're gonna be an ortho guy and then when I come out you recognize the interplay Oh, and yeah. the jokes come out that all ortho is neuro and all neuro is ortho it's all the something's same co- something's co- someone's gonna control these <laughs> yeah. bones and j- muscles yeah, it's, it's just, the brain it's and then you start right. recognizing from a motor learning motor control of like and then also the tracks that yep. like especially when you're working with balance are we working with spinal or vestibular spinal like all those tracks like it's like crap well it's I wish I had paid attention to that more. Uh, so pay but, attention, students, if you're listening. Pay attention okay. to your neuro if you want to be a good ortho.
1: Yeah, because uh, what, what it comes down to is that there, there's no distance between the CNS and the neuromusculoskeletal system. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no distance. None. It's all Same. completely integrated. Yep. And the, there's only one thing, and that's the body. And if you have sensory deficits, you could potentially have motor deficits from that sensory Mm -hmm, deficit, mm -hmm. which can lead to Mm -hmm. musculoskeletal structural changes due to that deficit Mm -hmm. because of patterning changes and issues Mm -hmm. along those lines. Mm -hmm. So it's like, and if you strengthen a, um, a muscle, it can improve sensory, like it can load Let's say uh, an area of your foot that wasn't providing sensory input, Input, which then changes motor output, which then changes your interaction with the environment, and it just so it's all one thing. Yeah. So then that's where my my overall approach is more about like how can we improve global function? Period. Mm -hmm. And because if you improve global function, like the entire thing is is auto, it's dynamically corrective. Yep. So once you start fixing one area you're going to create a feedback loop. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and that's that's certainly a more complicated way to think about things, but it's also going to lead to the most systemic and sustainable outcomes. Mm-hmm. If you only address one portion, then th- those outcomes can potentially be unsustainable. Yep. Yeah, and you know, so it's
0: funny you mentioned that lately in my practice, whether it's the clients I see here or the clinics I fill in at, is always having that conversation of when this is over such as when this PT sessions are over these are what you need to do moving forward because mm-hmm. what I hate seeing is that they're done with PT and then they kind of revert back to whether it be habits or yeah like when you talk about systemic change we yeah. want systemic change mm-hmm. lasting more than a forever. year yeah exactly asking <laughs> like, forever and I like to hit that hard easily it's like consider this is a wake-up call or this you're gonna have to change this or like if this is just a man load management this is
1: forever not just for this injury well, and then like the, the goal with any type of intervention is to no longer need the intervention exactly because it'll be like well i need this forever i was like I exercise yes <laughs>
0: yeah but yeah 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 it's
1: like this specifically like i hope not yeah but the being active yeah you yes. yes yes if you don't want to be active like sorry yeah, yeah. You,
0: you have to that's that even understanding that and i think as a pt because we know the health comorbidities and understand the yeah. path pathology we should have a breadth of understanding of moving the needle forward for one patient at a time like getting into better health so you have that outcome of that clinical situation that they see you for but then moving them forward towards health and making that other discussion. Of yeah,
1: this is like making that transition from the clinical and uh, like managed setting mm-hmm. to like life in the unmanaged environment. Yep. And, and, and hopefully keeping all of the outcomes that were achieved in the clinical setting and building upon them.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Like that, I mean, that's an ideal situation. Yeah like that should be the goal of every clinician everywhere that goes back then to it's like so many great tangents
0: of (laughs) being a good example to our patients oh yeah that is ourselves but i don't want them to ever feel like you need to be me because i tell them like i've exercised since i was 15 if you've never been an exercise you're not going to get like me sorry It's, it's not realistic but what i'm saying is you you
1: kind of embody good health behaviors well it, and whether or not they achieve your level of whatever like whatever it mm-hmm. is that you, like, you are good at whether or not they they achieve that it gives them a target to potentially aim at versus being aimless it's kind of also that trust factor yeah. too right a- and your body is a product of your behaviors mm-hmm. and if you can't even this is my uh, uh, just something that that fires me up across the medical field in general but if you as an expert in health and wellness and function don't prioritize health wellness and function yeah why would anyone listen to you
0: kind of like uh lawyers there are a lot in the news lately if you don't have the moral <laughs> compass should you be a lawyer you know it's or, kind of like or i think like a, that.
1: a better parallel for lawyers is like are you going to hire a lawyer that's in prison yeah yeah exactly, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. well uh, I yeah, think, yeah that, that would be a better parallel or, or like yeah. uh you know hire a plumber whose house is leaking yeah you know, exactly like, yeah well i yeah. I'm going to go look for someone else. Yeah.
0: That, I think that's another... Like, as students, if you're younger, it it, it shows. You're younger and you have, you're in peak health. But, like, moving forward, how are you being able to be a, serve as a good example in the yeah. clinic, too, as well?
1: Because your presence is so much more powerful than you think. Yes. And just what They're you watching. look like and yep. who you are is probably 70% of your outcomes. Mm-hmm.
0: It and just, it's not... And I also want to backtrack. It's not body shaming anyone at all, because we're all in a journey sure. somewhere, and they only see like what three months of you. Yeah, you know what I mean. At, at, yeah. But yeah, this is not to body shame anyone, but
1: to just know that you should be on some sort of moving progress of some sort. Sure. Like yeah, I mean, you want to be an example in the sense like not perfection. Yes, but in you are in the pursuit of excellence. Pursuit. I think if you're in the pursuit, that yeah, progress yeah. of pursuit. Yes. And and but that that's where if like, if your patients and your clientele don't see you on the righteous path towards <laughs> excellence. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Then why should they undergo discomfort under your watch? Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Yep. You yeah. In, in prescribing the intense. Tabata exercises yeah. and you're here eating Chick-fil-A nuggets on the side. Like, hey, yeah,
1: or, or, yeah, it's like, <laughs> okay, like, hey, but you are the exemplar that Gen Pop looks to and just mm-hmm. take, like, honor that and, and respect that privilege that we have as, mm-hmm. as medical professionals to be an example.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like, I think it's an incredible privilege to be, um, you know someone that others will pay to to look at as mm-hmm. an example, like that's and that then there's
0: privilege. There's a uh being humble about it too, in that it's like you are because of you are, but you can't be like, Yeah, you could just do that easily. Like, you have to be humble and not braggadocious, of like, Yeah, I, you know, I ran 10 miles. It's like you have to meet them where they're at oh, and that's... then show them that like this is possible, it's a journey, it's not for because Gen Pop likes. You know, the quick.
1: They want it now. Want. I want it yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 that's something I've been thinking about over the past year or so in regards to like service and how to serve and how to frame it from, from my, my perspective is, like, uh-huh. ideally I would like to be the tide that lifts all ships. Mm-hmm. Like if, So if all of those under my care are improving, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. And... So going going to back to what you said about uh, meeting people where they're at. Yes, that is critical. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause because you can't be here. You're not going to build the rapport. You're not going to build the no. trust. And if if you don't show your humanity and your process yes. and your struggles, the huma- you have to show that absolutely. Then they will see you as a, especially if you really take care of yourself and you're spot on. You're a, you're a doctor and you have a booming successful clinic. And you've got people coming in and out, and everyone speaks high praise of you. You need to make yourself accessible to gen pop. Yes, yes. And and in order to do that, you need to approach people very carefully because you don't want your very presence unintentionally to be an unattainable goal. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And that's very nuanced and subtle, but it's also very real. Mm Mm-hmm. Like where yeah. people will disengage from you because they think you're, like you know, they can't get, yeah they they can't be what you want them to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so like meeting them where they're at and being a champion of all of their progress. Yes, I like that. And then then that's when you can you know, raise them up closer to what they could be. hmm like so if you champion every success of everyone around you, it's like you would just you will be surprised at the just that type of environment that you're able to foster mm-hmm. and it is so uplifting and empowering to to yeah to, to give people permission to succeed. And it, so
0: to tie into that, when you talk about championing your patients and everyone around you, yeah. professional staff, that then goes back to the effective communication. Like the stuff I, I hate personally seeing is like how was your pain yesterday? Oh great. We're gonna bring that up from the from the, from the get. It always hurts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great, great yeah. question. Thanks for like, bringing it up. Cha- yeah, championing like the successes, yeah. But not being the always happy guy. Yeah. Being real with them and recognize, oh man, sorry you had a bad day. Let's try and figure it out. Yeah. You know, it's like things like that, but like, yeah, just being purposeful in those communication. Um, and yeah, the, it means that you may not have to ask pain explicitly yeah,
1: every time. Yeah, like, no, and, and that's, that's or what, not
0: leading with it. The when le- you first see them.
1: If they're in pain, they'll tell you. Yeah, and uh, yeah, certainly trying to frame as many questions as possible in a productive and positive mm-hmm. light. Yeah, helps steer people away from. A, any type of unnecessary framing of their pain yeah because then that goes into pain sciences and then like yeah. they're
0: already in pain and you keep asking about pain this, and that's pain, the that. focus yeah and that's the focus and that's the
1: focus is, is it, exercise painful it's like oh it's like, I, I understand why we do that or are, are taught to do that from a liability safety standpoint, standpoint, safety I, safety get standpoint. I, I get, get it I get it but if you make pain the focus of treatment mm-hmm. then that's it that is what we'll be focused on as opposed to f- to function. Mm-hmm. It's like, did you feel like that moved better? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, focus on the movement and how the movement felt. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, move, oh, yeah, it's feeling better when I move it. It's like, if it's feeling better when they move it, it was less painful. But you can use like an inverse scale instead of like rating pain, rating quality of movement. Yeah. Like rating yeah, yeah. like perceived quality of movement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, yeah instead of perceived pain. Mm-hmm. Um, because for for a variety of reasons, like when I mean, when you reinforce focusing on a certain thing, it's going to propagate itself. Yeah, no, it's I know. It's going to become more attached. You know what I, I love?
0: I don't love it, but what happens is when when I fill into a clinic, I'll meet the patient for the first time, and they've been here for been to the clinic a few times, and they'll be like, "My pain's a five. I was like, "I didn't even ask that." Like, like, <laughs> <it was> like, <laughs> I joke. I was like. Wow, I mean, thank you for telling me I appreciate it, but I mean, thank i did not. Thank you for communicating. Thank you for communicating that. And I'm in mean, my
1: mind, I was like, oh no, poor guy. Like, you, you he look already, down at their shows. It's like their name is Pain is a Five. Yeah. It's like, that's not who you yeah. are. Yeah.
0: I was like, how was your day? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's great that you told me. I appreciate it. I'll keep that in mind. But, oh man, I hate when that happens. It's sad. <laughs> it's sad to me. That's sad. Hello, my that. name is Pain is a Five. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, oh. Yeah. Yeah, that goes back to that. That coaching thing. They should be excited to see you. They should look forward to seeing you
1: because they know, what am I going to learn today? Well, and, and I think that that goes back to imp- creating an empowering environment mm-hmm. where that people want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And if you if you do that, then pe- people will be flocking to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, if, if you champion the success of people around you and you foster an environment of excellence mm-hmm. and you are reasonable and challenging with, with your outcomes. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's no real, like, you will succeed.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's one thing I learned after graduation is every session should be a forward progress to the goal. Mm-hmm. Some days may not be as much, but yeah. it may happen within the week or so. Yeah. But every, it's like training. It should be hard. It shouldn't feel like, oh, I just did the same 10 things again. Well,
1: like for specifically, I mean, especially from a structural standpoint, if it was easy, there wasn't any stress. And if there's not any stress, there is no structural adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. Period, period. Like this just, so if you are patty caking through any kind of intervention, which is supposed to elicit a musculoskeletal change, it is not
3: Mm -hmm.
0: and I do my best too. like um, in documentation you could you could document that in mm -hmm. your plan you could say first two weeks stick it to this load next two weeks stick it to this load right start taking in some maybe some strength and conditioning type variables like you know in this cycle this cycle they're going from this to this to this to this to this this. yes right and it may not stick because a lot of things like post-surgical there may be pain there may be things like that but you kinda have that idea and so you could put that in your plan. You you should feel empowered to do that and when you start writing documentation, you know, you could start doing that. I, I try and do I do it my best I can, but pre- sometimes booting progressive exercise may not be enough. It it'd be helpful to specify.
1: Yeah, it's really so from a from a programming and periodization standpoint. Yes. So it's really that, I think that's one of the, uh, one of the other really big deficits I see on the PT side of things. How being so? being able to optimize the development of yes, inter, like, interventions mm-hmm. such that yeah, yeah, you're 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 maximizing um, let's say strength outcomes, mm-hmm. hypertrophic outcomes, mm-hmm. and even from a neuromuscular standpoint, like patterning outcomes. Yep. From a post-surgical, that's easy to do. Yes.
0: When it's non-surgical, I don't know. I th- I'd like to think you could – I think you could do it. I just don't think the uh, cycles are as long. Um, n-
1: yeah,
0: right? Yeah, like just... I'm thinking like the neck pain, mechanical neck pain, no distal symptoms, mm-hmm. right? Let's say it's uh, more of a stabilization, very sure. broad. Yep. Then, yes, that could follow that.
1: If, if so, let me reframe that a little bit. If if the um, the patient is referred, or uh, yeah, the patient is in your office for something musculoskeletal, that the, the periodization and programming of interventions is relatively inefficient across mm-hmm. the board for mm-hmm. PTs. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're talking about neurological considerations, you you don't necessarily need to have that type of programming. But maybe it
0: is. Kinda of, let's say if I have distal symptoms cervical, my first cycle is getting distal symptoms out
1: from a nerve system. Yes. Then move on. So and it's like a different on. Sure, yeah. It's the same kind of concept. Yeah. But 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 for for like you're getting distal neuropathies yeah. like originating from the C spine. It's not like you're gonna start with some type of like manual overload of the neck. Yeah. Slow down. Yeah. But
0: that same kind of perspective but different Content inside, so yeah, cervical radic distal symptoms, especially if it's like a double crush, <laughs> yeah. decrease symptoms of distal, you'll get more neck, and then it's perfect. Then I can handle the neck, and then from there, go from there, yeah, bouncing the back and forth. That would be little, the little progression, ping pong. yeah, little ping pong. That would be the progression, and it'll yeah. ping pong. You're right, it'll yeah. ping pong, yeah. and that'll be the progression.
1: What else? Post-surgical is... Yeah, post-surgi- pers- <SSRI> like <SSRI> pers- post-surgical is... Totally. Yeah, because the degrees of freedom are reduced, mm-hmm. so the complexity of interventions are reduced. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. you just... But but as the degrees of in freedom increase, then the complexity of your interventions increase. Mm-hmm. Pretty straightforward. Uh, and the best way to create progression in environment... In situations where degrees of freedom are very high... Yeah. It create mm-hmm. like you need to have increased expertise in programming yep. and understanding the outcomes, yep. like how to structure programming. Mm-hmm. And if you've got a clientele base that isn't on, that isn't a visit based client, mm-hmm. they're just they're in there to maybe get ahead of something, or they're they're in in there to um, you know improve top end performance. Let's say from an athlete standpoint. Yeah, then you can have those like maybe nine, 12, 16-week interventions where they're coming in two, three times a week for that type of timeline mm-hmm. where they are seeing significant and specific mm-hmm. uh, progress. Yeah. But that that's that's for a very, you know, <laughs> it's a minutiae of a minutiae of yeah. A population. <laughs> yeah, not gen pop necessarily, yeah, not gen pop. maybe. Yeah. Um, but
0: from the higher end, yeah, understanding those phases yeah how you how
1: you block things mm-hmm. because you know you're going to see them for that long extended periods of time for a very particular outcome mm-hmm. not just the reduction in general negative symptoms mm-hmm. but the improvement of specific functions mm-hmm. and so I think that's a a a basic way to kind of differentiate between your standard gen pop and mm-hmm. those that are seeking uh, improvements at top- end performance yeah yeah,
0: anything else for me? What are, you, what are you thinking? Oh man, uh... it's gonna be very interesting when we catch up, and I hope it's not long. But like before you know it, you'll grad be graduating. I'll be graduating from PT school, the yeah. PT
1: school side.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, we should definitely keep in touch. We won't. I'll keep picking your brain because now that I know you're going to the PhD, this is great. So then I could kind of be like. Should think of this or that, and you could be like, "Go away! So, I'm gonna do so, this." So for uh, the
1: PhD, or, I'm he- heavily considering getting into uh, um, osseointegrated prostheses. Yeah. So that's cool. That's where my very cool my trajectory is. That's where I want to go. What is that exact? It's so, I, I
0: hear it, and I kind of know what that those words mean,
1: but what does that? So exactly? standard prosthetics, traditional prosthetics, are called socket prosthetics yes socket prosthesis mm-hmm. and and typically post-amputation the the remaining the remaining tissue is shaped in such a way that a socket can Fitting. can yep. be fitted post-surgery mm-hmm. um and a osteointegrated implant is where there's a a metal implant that's anchored in bone that crosses the skin it's, it's transdermal so it, it it crosses the skin and leaves a external anchor for a prosthetic what yeah it's crazy stuff where are they thinking lower extremity where like primarily like right now i'm looking at doing a comp my team is doing a comparison on transfemoral oh transfemoral amputees on functional outcomes between osteointegrated and socket
0: I guess that would make sense because the femur has a lot more bone stock to anchor well, and, through.
1: And so the, a, lot of, a lot of the issues that are experienced by those with socket pro- prostheses are p- pressure wounds at the site of yeah. in, and, and pressure wounds yeah. and infection yep. associated with yep. that and just discomfort and use, the mm-hmm. friction and rubbing from mm-hmm. it. Um, and then they, they stop. The, their activity levels decrease, decrease it's just like, because why bother? It's, yeah. it's, it's uncomfortable. So they're saying with this other
0: approach we could avoid all
1: that so without speaking beyond the analysis that we've done yet in particular in individual studies that we've come across so far there seems to be a, um, a, gen, a general trend of improved functional outcomes when comparison one of the studies is specifically in regards to hip extension Pre-intervention with so- the socket and mm-hmm. post-intervention of the of the in bone implant like range of motion range of motion of implant uh, of hip extension during gait. Okay, good. I was going to say like during movement. So yeah. you're getting more. Ex- got so it. Yeah. there is a significant increase in hip extension during gait for those osseointegrated implants, and that pair they they did a, they've got a quality of life survey that's that's um, used for the, the transfemoral patients um that also quality of life use just across the board seems to be a an improvement in every way observed.
0: Is this new like this
1: awesome new this is Pretty new. this
0: is great So this is like we'll have something we could talk a few more hours after yeah. this but like this is the stuff that I think PTs need to watch out for because not to watch out scary but like this is it like this is the coming of either robotics integration no yeah but we're, I mean, you know what I mean like that's so you asked me
1: what I what I think
0: about. It's
1: that's integration of all these emerging technologies, which, if you're not ready for, will you, there'll be a landslide? Yep.
0: Um, even like, let's say my watch tracks my sleep, like, why do I have to wear a watch? Why can't it be just embedded, embedded in my embedded, like, you know what I mean? So like, not, this
1: is it, like, or, or yeah, some kind of uh, um, you know.
0: Radioisotopic tattoo. Yep. Which, yeah. Why not? Or and when they start integrating robotics with the nervous system, yep. guess who's going to be there to be able to help them?
1: Yep. PTs. It's going to be us. And there, there are some other types of. Um, so taking that limb bone implant and then taking it a step further, there are there's other research that I want to get involved in that uses. A kind of a muscle mesh around remaining structure, or remaining muscle mass post amputation, that then has an actuator that leaves through the in bone implant to, and it actuates to an external prosthetic. <laughs> I should just stop the podcast. Yeah, so I just stopped recording. It, it's You're a, like, wait, what? <laughs> the robots have already come. <laughs> no, the, the, that kinda, that kind of that that's the first step yes towards like some serious integration
0: I'm thinking of like that scene from Terminator with the hand
1: yeah right yes that's it and the I mean it's a matter of time before there's like synthetic ner- nervous tissue that yep. exits through these things mm-hmm. to the that's literally conducting signal to an external like artificial m- muscle Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just it's, a matter, it's a matter of time. It's a matter of time. It's a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. And I just want to be on the wave. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. I just want to be riding I hope away. maybe I'll be retiring by then and I'll be like, oh, I don't have to yeah. study for it's that like, stuff. Wow. <laughs> it's like, oh, I need to go get, I need to learn how to code. I need to yeah, learn yeah, how yeah. to, I need to I learn need, biophysics. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like, oh, okay. Electrical to to engineering. Yep. Like, no thanks. I'm I need, retired. I need to go back to school for another 50 years <laughs> yeah. in order to continue practicing robot PT. <laughs> robot PT. It's just
0: <laughs> you have like tools and all the tinkering. Like you're part mechanic, part PT. Hey,
1: it is. It is we are embarking into an interesting future, mm-hmm. to say the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is where a lot of my headspace sits for just like, like when I'm just sitting yeah, there yeah. daydreaming. It's yeah. a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I see it's it. Cra- and it's crazy. I see it. It's crazy. I get it. Yeah. So if, if you want to get involved in next generation PT stuff just <laughs> get into some uh, well wh- what are they called the uh, biomechatronics so it's okay the I'll have to look that up so like completely mechanized prosthetics okay completely mechanized controlled prosthetic. by the person yes by uh, the nervous
0: system depends or by like muscle twitch and then they read it and so then they go.
1: there are these let's see if I can say it right like they're modular modular prosthetic Uh that can be, depending on how it's interfaced with, can be piloted remotely. Mm. So there are there have been some experimental patients that have had um, remaining nervous tissue post limb loss, moved closer to the surface of the skin so that Central signaling can stimulate electrodes. Yeah, that then could transmit signal to the external prosthetic. Yes,
0: yeah, so it would read it, and then you could just program that whenever that signal happens, Do make this. this thing
1: happen. Yep. Sick. And those modular prosthetics aren't necessarily on the person. Oh, I see what you're saying. Got it. Got it. Got yeah, it, got it. they, they can saying. be worn. Yes, but they also can be piloted remotely. Yes, which is just kind of. Bonkers. I mean,
0: if I could Facetime you, that should be already. Yeah, I get it. Like yeah, the tech is there.
1: It's it is it's pretty bananas.
0: Kind of like um, the artificial intelligence that's happening with Snapchat to create like you know the baby face, all that stuff. The yeah. tech is there. Yeah. So
1: for sure. Yep. Yep. It's all a lot of a whole lot of stuff. Cool. Gets me gets me fired up. So perfect so if you're
0: still listening to this podcast yeah, we this were. is great 10 hours in you've been 10 hours <laughs> in you've probably split this amongst your commute three four times you've already worked a whole month worth of yeah. work thank you for listening yeah, thank you very much thank you for coming yeah, i hope thank we'll you very much. get to talk more um be on the lookout for this man because yeah it's gonna be the future is bright
1: yeah if
0: you and it's here and it's here. And, and it's and it's here and it's here Thanks for coming.
3: Yeah, thank
2: you very much. Yeah.
3: Yeah.